We are going to be taking a look at a character in Scripture this morning. Uh, we're going to find this person in Judges 13. If you have a Bible, turn there. If you don't, these lovely folks walking down the aisle will hand you a Bible. You'll need it. Just raise your hand and they'll give it to you. Judges 13. We're going to be looking at uh, Judges 13, 14, 15, 16. I know I had you turn to uh, 13. Keep your finger there. But in a moment, I'm going to have you stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, which is what we do here. And we're going to read out of actually chapter 14. So keep, keep your place in 13. And we're going we're gonna to read out of 14 and taking a look at a character by the name of Samson. So let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Judges 14. And by the way, what we're about to read are the very first words of Samson. So this man is in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. This is the Medal of Honor recipients of all of God's people, hall of faith. Remarkable man. We're going to see in chapter 13, he was anointed by the Lord from birth, unlike any of the other judges. Let's see what his very first words are. This godly, set-apart, deliverer of the people of Israel. Here we go. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. And so he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman. And Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, go get her for me as a wife. That's how he said it. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of, our, of your brethren or among my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. Go. His father and mother did not know. Here, here's the part that's shocking. His father and mother didn't know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. His very first words, I want a pagan woman as a wife. Go get her. Because she is right in my eyes. Why, are the nation, why is the nation of Israel in a mess in Judges anyways? Because everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And here's Samson. I want her. Well, she's a Philistine. I don't care. She's right in my eye. Go get her. Pretty remarkable character we're going to study. Let's pray. Lord, please guide and direct us through this passage. And Lord, for folks who are visiting for the first time, don't know a lot about church, I just pray Samson would touch their heart to let them realize we're all alike. Lord, is this man a sinner or a saint or is he both? And God, why would you pick a man like this to be a deliverer of Israel? Lord, please answer all those questions by the riches of your word and the power of your word. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. And today, Lord, as we come to receive communion, testifying of your body that was broken and your blood that was shed for the remission of our sins, that we have been made clean, washed as white as snow because of what you've done. Not what we've done, but because of what you've done. And so, Lord, we praise you this day. Bless us now through your living word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, please be seated. Samson's a strange mix of success and failure, and he is an odd duck to be sure. Uh, strong as ox, strong as an ox, and weak as water. And you're going to see in the time of this message uh, a contrasting human being. He's, he's just odd to me. Hard to put him as a hero. It's not one of those stories you want to teach your kids because it it's RX rated kind of. And yet uh, we see pictures of him in the scriptures, and he's just rippling with muscles, right? And we see him, you know, blind, eyes gouged out, pulling down the pillars of the Philistine. The temple comes down on him. We see a picture of him holding a, uh, the jawbone of a donkey, and he's taken out a thousand Philistines all by himself. 
And, and you look at him, just a picture of strength. His muscles are rippling and the, the paintings that they've done of him. Uh, incredible. That's not him. I don't know what pictures, where you got them and whoever did, but that's not him. And I'll tell you why. Let's take a look at Judges 13, verse 1. He is the only judge set apart and, and pre-announced by God through an angel. No other judge in all of the book of Judges is pre-announced and set apart from birth like Samson. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And you know the pattern, right? They go into apostasy. They, they rebel against God. God's no longer the center of their culture. They get enslaved to all their passions, and the Philistines take over, and, and they tax them into oblivion, blah, blah, blah. And then it says the children of Israel cry out, and God sends a deliverer. But notice in chapter 13, the children of Israel don't cry out. They've been living under oppression for 40 years by the Philistines. Nobody's crying out. Oh, what's that? Well, I'm sorry, Dad, didn't hear you? Second Chronicles 7, 15? 14, that too? Okay, let's do that one. If my people are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. They're not praying that. As a matter of fact, I don't think America's praying that. Oh, we love to quote it, but we don't. How, how often have I been calling for prayer? It's still a handful of folks. And that's not condemnation. That's maybe conviction, but not condemnation. It's a reality. We're not desperate enough to pray. Will God deliver us? For 40 years, they're under oppression. Why should they be delivered? They're not applying 2 Chronicles 7, 14. They're not doing anything in seeking the Lord, and they've been under oppression for 40 years. Well, that's not us, really? We have the highest gas tax, sales tax, income tax. We have the highest debt of any state in the nation. Take the next four states, combine it, doesn't equal the debt of California. You look at your paycheck, they're taking more and more and more, and you're driving on bumpy roads. You can't even get to the beaches. You have no access to those. Our schools have imploded. We have the 47th infrastructure in the country. It's a mess. And we just keep paying them and sending it out. And then they want to pass SB 1146. They want to shut down our seminaries and our Christian colleges and force us to violate the First Amendment. And, and we've got a, an assembly and a Senate that's all in stock. I've heard that, that Jackie's going to turn on that and she's going to vote against it. Praise the Lord. That, that's the efforts of, of God's people. But the likelihood is still going to pass. And when I ran for that, I can tell you right now, you, there, you, I would have voted against it. But I lost by 4,000 votes. You know who didn't show up that day? Christians. 65 million Christians, maybe 85 million Christians, largest minority in America. In a, presidential, or in a non-presidential election, only 12.5% of them vote. In a presidential election, it's 24, 25%. We're apathy. And you see this and you think, well, I can't believe that they're taking our seminaries away. And I remember the president of Biola sending this statement saying, it's unprecedented that we reach out to our, our, our members about anything dealing with the legislative body. Why is that unprecedented? You should have been doing that a long time ago and training your pastors to do the same. But we're just taking it. And, and we're oppressed and we're enslaved and they take more of our paycheck and, we do, and, and give us less services and we're, it's, it's a problem. 19 trillion and counting, maybe 20 trillion nationally. And boy, are these elections fun, aren't they? This has been a real treat. What, I have one question for, for Donald Trump. Why, what were you thinking when you took on a gold star mother? What were you thinking? And you have, you have a president, two presidential candidates have the highest disapproval rating of any candidates in the history of the country. And we're wondering, and I'm listening to Christians go, I'm not going to vote for Donald Trump. Oh, stop it. I, I, I look at that and then they go through all the litany of their moral basis and their pietism. 
I think 70 million babies are born in America, and you don't do squat, but you're not going to vote for somebody because of... And if you're waiting to vote for the... Le- you're tired of voting for the lesser of two evils? Are we here tired? I am so tired of voting for the lesser of two evils. I got news for you. Unless Jesus Christ is running for office, it will always be the lesser of two evils. <laughs> That's how it works. And the question is, do you want to lose your First Amendment or Second Amendment rights? You, you want to see that implosion? What is it? And we, we just, we, we wallow in, in thinking that we're somehow significant in the four walls of our church while we watch culture implode around us. And we do nothing. And we stand on our moral high ground with pietism as our world becomes smaller and smaller. And we, are, we have no clue. And, and this, this is the nation of Israel. No clue. 40 years of press, they're not even crying out to God. They're coming up with some sort of pietistic, miserable responses. And God sends a guy that he picks from, from his mother's womb. An angel visits. It says, now there was a certain man, verse 2, from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, indeed now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin, begin because it would be Saul and David who would complete it. But you shall, he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. A Nazarite vow is placed on that boy in the womb that's going to last the entirety of his life. You know how long his hair is going to be? He's going to look like Rapunzel. A Nazarite vow requires a number of things. One is no alcohol. Number two, you don't shave your head, Mark. <laughs> Number three, you can't touch dead things. So this, this is a Nazarite vow upon this boy from his mother's womb. His mom and dad in a secular world have had a visit from the angel of the Lord inspiring them to parent him well. They probably moved to a compound in Montana, did some homeschooling and took that boy and really poured into him the things of God. And so here we have him, and he's all set, and he's been set apart from his mother's womb. Now watch this, verse 24, chapter 13. So the woman bore a son, called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him as a child. It means his spirit was upon this child uh, at that point. No other judge in, in in the history of the book of Judges had this gift except for Samson. From the womb, and as a child, the spirit of the Lord is upon him. The Lord blessed him, and the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahane, uh, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtaol. And so this, this kid is like, Whoa. and you know what's amazing about him? There's nothing in his character. God just gives it to him, bestows his gifts freely. And this kid has an anointing on him. It's like he's been raised with a silver spoon in his mouth. His hair's, you know, he's got cool hair. You can't shave it. He's one of those kids, this boy or girl, I don't know, his hair's really... And some of you are thinking, oh, this is Samson. I mean, even as a child, the kid was ripped. He was probably bench-pressing oxen and the like. (laughs) Cover to cover, you read this story, and that's not it. As a matter of fact, I don't think he had bulging muscles. Why would Delilah go, what's the secret of your strength? It'd be easy. She'd go, it's your washboard stomach and those specs. And look at those deltoids. Oh, jeepers. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> I mean, look at you. You are a specimen of... Ex- <clears throat> Anyways. Woof. And he's just walking in. Hey, how are you doing? It's good to see you. <laughs> Get to the chopper. 
Ah, the beach is that way. No, 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 no. It's like Jesus in, in Isaiah where there was nothing in his appearance. He, he was comely. There was nothing in his appearance that would draw us to him. He, it, it says of him that Jesus, it, Judas had to betray him with a kiss because nobody knew who he was. He wasn't this blonde-haired, blue-eyed, radiant, halo-garnishing, you know, <laughs> Some people go, well, he was a carpenter's son. He was a carpenter himself. He was probably ripped. He had tattoos. Okay, There was nothing in his appearance that would draw us to him. He, he, and, and that's the same thing with Samson. I personally think Samson looked like Pee Wee Herman. If he didn't, why would Delilah say, what is the secret of your strength? <laughs> Look at me. I, there was nothing that would define him as strong. How do you do what you do? How do you do what you do? And he, and he had this supernatural strength. No one, and it's been, it, it's been documented. People lifting cars, their children are underneath it. Women lifting cars. You know, God, through supernatural, just wiring in the human body, some things fire and synapses and boom and pull the child out. And how'd you do it? It's like Les Miserables, right? And this supernatural strength and you see him and, and, and where's it come from? We don't know. And here's a guy that's anointed from his birth, set apart in his mother's womb. An angel appears, unlike any other judge. This guy has got to be remarkable. And what do we find in the first words of his life? I took you there, Judges 14. The very first words out of his mouth is, I want a pagan woman as a wife. Go get her. She's pleasing to me. She's right in my own eyes. The antithesis of godliness. Who is this guy? He has the strength to vanquish 30 Philistines take their clothing and then a thousand he pulls down the temple and three thousand are killed he ties together 300 foxes and puts lanterns and burns their field this man is driven by lust he's driven by passion he is anything he just he just doesn't fit in the box he doesn't fit neatly into our religious categories doesn't that bother you a little bit None of our candidates fit into our religious categories, do they? We'd love to be able to classify people. It makes us feel better. Put them in little boxes and call them either bad or good. We can't do that in this campaign. Samson here, he defies the categories. He challenges our understanding on how God works. Why would God use this man? Why would God use this man? It's the mystery of his calling. I mean, it is absolutely bizarre. He's he's set aside from youth given to a people that aren't even seeking God to deliver them. Why, why should God deliver America? You're lamenting over the election. Why in the world should he deliver America? Is it because we're so unbelievably godly with the 70 million babies we've aborted? Is it because we're unbelievably godly by the, the trillions of dollars of debt we've leveled on children that have yet to be born? Is because we've enslaved ourselves to a government system where we believe somebody owes us something? Why should he bless us? We've, we, we ignore him. We don't acknowledge him. We've taken him out of our schools. Why? We don't pray. You can call for prayer till you're blue in the face. That's a way to preach a church down to a manageable size. Why should he bless us? Why would he send a deliverer? And is a deliverer coming on Air Force One? That's what we're hoping for. And we're looking going, huh, huh. 
You know, Samson was an interesting fellow. The people aren't crying out. They're existing in their pathetic bondage to the Philistines, just like we're existing in our pathetic pathetic bondage to federal and state governments. And God initiates the deliverance of his people. And he sent deliverance through a person whose life was full of inconsistencies and contradictions. At this point, he is completely a sinner. I don't see the saint in him. And God uses him. And his calling is not based on his performance, but on God's anointing. Why would God anoint a person like this? It's the mystery of Samson's calling. He picks this guy. A guy that's raised godly and the first chance as an adult, he says, I want a pagan woman as my wife. Go get her. But don't you want? No. I want what I want and I want it now and it's right in my own eyes. Now go get it. Disobedient to his parents. Driven by lust. This is out of Timothy. And it's the mystery of his sinning which is so fascinating to me. This man takes sinning to a whole new level. He's a, he's a person who's born with privilege and, and godly training. He throws it all away for a few parties and prostitutes. Samson's parents taught him the ways of the Lord, raised him with a Nazarite vow. He had a calling on his life. He reaches adulthood, and the very first thing we see here, he wants a pagan woman. But you know, God uses Samson to deliver the nation of Israel. We see at the very conclusion of chapter 15, after he slays a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, and he's dying of thirst, God splits the rock, he satiates himself, and then it says, very simply, in chapter 15, in the last portion, it says, And Samson judged Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. So God used him to deliver them out of 40 years of bondage and gave him 20 years of freedom by a sinful, wretched man. And what was his strength? You know, you read, you read the story of Samson cover to cover, he never once touches alcohol. Not once. He didn't drink. The strength is in God's anointing, but it's, it's supposedly in his hair. I want to show you somebody with iconic hair who doesn't drink. Do we have the image? Do we have the image? <laughs> Do you realize he's never touched alcohol? He's a teetotaler. He's never touched. His older brother died of alcoholism. He's never touched alcohol a day in his life. He abhors. He's never done drugs. And look at that hair. <laughs> and yet he owns casinos. He committed adultery on his first wife, uh, Ivana, to sleep with Marla Maples. And now he's married to, if, if he wins election, will be the first, first woman to have ever posed naked. That, wow, what an accomplishment for us as a nation. And he's owned strip clubs or had a small 5% portion of that through the Taj Mahal. He, in his book, The Art of the Deal, he talks about if I were to discuss all the married women I've had affairs with, uh, it, would, it, it would shock everybody. He, he's going to be the president of the United States. And he contrasts him with Hillary. And nobody trusts either of them. And yet he declares that he stands for life. He's going to uphold the First Amendment. He's going to appoint constitutionalists to the... And you look at that and you go, I, I want to vote for him. But that guy's a mess. Right? I'll tell you what, from he, for the next 90 days, just don't open your mouth. But he can't do that because that's almost his strength. He took out 17 Republican candidates with his mouth. It's like a jawbone. 
And you look at this, and, and this is the last comparison I'm going to make, but this, this, is this a deliverer? Hello? Is this guy a deliverer? No. This is stunning to me. This, this guy, he belongs in Jerry Springer. And he judges Israel for 20 years and brings him peace, and God uses him. Samson's strength was found in his anointing from God in his life. We have these pictures of Samson's bulging muscles, but like I said, he probably looked like Pee Wee Herman. But what happens to his life? He trades such privilege for bondage and the deceitfulness of sin. And you know what stuns me about the Lord? Is God keeps his anointing on Samuel. Excuse me. God keeps his anointing on Samson. God keeps his anointing on Samson. Even as he continues in sin. In the passage of scripture that we read in Judges 14, when he says, go get me that woman, he crosses through a vineyard. Now, he shouldn't be in a vineyard. A man who doesn't drink alcohol shouldn't have his own vodka line. A man who doesn't drink alcohol shouldn't have casinos. He walks through a vineyard. He's got a Nazarite vow. He's not supposed to be drinking. He doesn't, but he walks through, and then a lion comes to attack him. He's unarmed. And as the lion comes to attack him, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he tears the lion apart. First of all, he's going down to marry a pagan woman in contradiction to Deuteronomy 7, not to marry a pagan. God sends a lion as he's in a vineyard where he doesn't belong as a Nazarite vow. And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him where he tears the lion apart. And God's ordained every bit of it. You think, what? And later he supernaturally is empowered by the Lord to slay 30 Philistines to take their clothing from them. And you know, you know why he needed their clothing? He had to pay a gambling debt. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him to pay a gambling debt. Is anyone having fun with this? I mean, I don't, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm... And at 40 years old, he's been successfully leading Israel for 20 years. 20 years. And at 60, well, most guys should kind of relax. No, I mean, excuse me, at 40, well, most guys should be relaxing and really stepping into their stride. 20 years of peace. What does he do? He's sleeping with a prostitute in Gaza. He's sleeping with a prostitute in Gaza. Uh, Judges 16. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a prostitute there and went into her. 20 years, he decides to just throw it in and go sleep with a prostitute. The Philistines find out and it's their plan to kill him at dawn. And she ends up telling of the strength. And, and here's actually what happened even previous to the prostitute is he ends up marrying that Philistine woman and has a bachelor party and gets into a gambling debt and then kills the 30 Philistines. They find out about it. They give his wife to another man. He's so upset he goes and ties the tails of 300 foxes with lanterns and burns their field. They're so upset about that that they kill his wife. He's so upset about that. And he just goes to town on them with a jawbone of a donkey and, and kills a thousand of them. And now there's peace in the land because he's slain thousands of, of Philistines. And, and as the peace is in the land, he goes back down to, to that sin that, that easily besets him. And, and he's, he's drawn to that. And, and it's a sex-saturated culture. And most men with the eye gate, we're inundated with pornography every day. And he just indulges in that. 20 years of peace and he throws it away. He throws it away. And yet, 
what does the Lord do? God gives him strength to overcome that and he keeps staying in the woman's bed. But Samson got up from this adulterous bed at midnight as they come in to attack him. And the spirit of the Lord comes upon him in, a, in, a, in, in the bed of a prostitute. After he spent an entire night with the prostitute, the spirit of the Lord comes upon him at midnight. The strength so strong, the anointing, he tears off the gates of the city and carries them 40 miles up to Hebron. That's supernatural. And that's all done by the anointing of the Spirit of the Lord. Here's the mystery. And it baffles me, especially in this election. Why didn't the anointing stop immediately when Samson sinned? How did that guy get to where he is? Really cool people would have been wonderful candidates. I don't know. The synopsis of it, why would God empower a man to kill a lion when that man is on his way to do the wrong thing? Why would God anoint a man who is committing adultery to carry off the gates of the city and escape harm? Because God is sovereign and he does what he wants to do and uses who he wants to use. But let me remind you and pay attention for all of you who think you're a Samson and you can have your cake and eat it too. We must never think that just because judgment does not immediately fall on transgression that God is unconcerned about our sin. Don't be mocked. God will not be deceived. A man will reap what he sows. That's Galatians 6. He gives us the opportunity to repent before the reaping occurs. And Samson had many times to repent. And here's the part that blows me away. He doesn't repent. And that takes us to this passage of Scripture I want to read to you. He doesn't repent. And in chapter 16, finally he tells Delilah, the source of his strength is his hair. She shaves his head while he's sleeping. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. So they put him into bondage. Verse 21 of chapter 16 says, the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. They gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza and they bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. So it's a little bit of repentance that he's starting to see. And he has a lot of time in prison to think about his life. Verse 23, the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has delivered into our hands, Samson, our enemy. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, our God has delivered into our hands, our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who has multiplied our dead. And so it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, call for Samson that he may perform for us. And so they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Tell, let me feel the pillars which support the temple and, so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women and all the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. And Samson called to the Lord saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray, strengthen me, I pray just this once, God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all of his might and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. And so the dead that he killed at 
his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of his father Manoah. He had judged Israel for 20 years. He's dressed as a circus clown probably, blinded and performing for the Philistines. And he'd become enslaved to the thing he was unwilling to kill. And it killed him ultimately. And yet God restored him, strangely enough. Why? This is a man who didn't honor the Lord a day in his life. And God had mercy on him. And gave him the anointing back. He had a lot of time to think in prison. He sorrowfully was grinding the grain of his enemies. He had a lot of time to think. Round and round he pushes his heavy wheel, grinding the wheat. I just have this picture in my mind. It's a mindless job, pulling that stone. He's blind and there's nothing to see, only the dirty cell and lots of time to think. He's crying out to God and talking. He was thinking of the good days at home as a child when they would pray at the dinner table and read out of 1 Corinthians. That's a joke. And he was thinking about his foolishness and playing with sin and the consequences it brought into his life. And he asked God for strength. His hair begins to grow in a sign of repentance. This consecration begins to return to him. And Samson realized the amazing grace of God that in our weakness his strength is made perfect. And you think, he doesn't deserve a second chance. He had all the giftings from his youth. Some of you have been raised in a Christian home. You walked away a long time ago. You're without excuse. Of all the people in the world who should know better, you do. And your, your entire life has been self-consumed and destructive. We, 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 and, and you know how I know that we're all in the same boat? is because I know you. I know you all. Because you're just like me. Rooms filled with sinners and saints. And there's some sins you just don't think like my father thought God could ever forgive you for. But he's a God of the second chance. And if you don't understand that God, and here's the point, we, we get our get out of hell free card and, and, and we... we we find ourselves in an adulterous relationship and, and then it all comes to fruition and everyone finds out and, and you confess of it and you repent of it and then you realize, well, you know what? That wasn't all that bad. Now I've learned kind of how to get away with it. I, wouldn't, I sure, certainly wouldn't let that happen next time and so you step back into that bed. And then you get caught again and you, you step back into that bed. And all you're leaving is a trail of dead bodies behind you and broken hearts and a culture that's destroyed and families that don't understand where daddy is or where mommy is. Divorce doesn't affect the couple. It affects the kids. We all know that. And we've all experienced divorce. There isn't a person in this room who hasn't suffered from divorce. Not one. And and we're just asking ourselves, he's the God of the second chance and he doesn't allow us to continue in sin that grace may abound. He wants us to take ownership and responsibility. There's, There's people that need to be delivered. And Samson at the end of his life gave his life to deliver those people. He wants us not to be consumed about ourselves, but consumed with others. 
We're in a life of service. That's a Christian. You want to be great in God's kingdom, be a servant of all. And there he calls on God. And this consecration comes upon Samuel once, or Samson once again and he, he cries out to him. He's empowered as before to lead him to repentance. You know, chastening is painful, but it's effectual. And Samson gets right with God and God delivers him. And he ends up in the hall of faith and he finishes his course. And the question is, was he a sinner or a saint? He was both, just like you and me. I like what one author writes. He says, I'm sure Samson could have avoided a lot of pain and humiliation had he walked in obedience and never taken that trip to Gaza. For 20 years, God had blessed him. He could have enjoyed his latter days as a ruler of Israel and fulfilled his destiny without that prison experience and the blindness. But oh, the riches of the mercy and goodness of God that even there in the prison of Gaza, God did not abandon him. and He continued to work in his heart and fulfill his purposes in his life. You guys remember Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, the killers at Columbine? Eric Harris, uh, and I read this, I, I couldn't dispel it. I, I went to see if it wasn't true, and, and it appears to be very true. Eric Harris, I think two days it was before the killing at Columbine, he went to a Christian goth concert. And the youth pastor came up and he said, I never do this, and I'm actually very nervous he said, but I really feel like the Spirit of the Lord is telling me that there's somebody out there that's killed somebody or is intending to kill somebody, and God wants you to repent. Eric Harris was there, and he didn't. And he went to Columbine and killed all those kids. Shocked our nation. And, and, and you're on the edge. You're dabbling. And we, ha- we still haven't gotten into our heads that we're on this earth to serve people into the kingdom. But we think it's to indulge in sin. And God is telling you right now, as he told Eric Harris, there's no Samsons in the room anymore. We don't continue in sin that grace may abound. This is the God of the second chance. He has cleansed you of all unrighteousness. I want to read this to you and then we'll take communion together. And the reason why this touches me is because as I wrote it down, I thought how fitting it is for a story like Samson for us to prepare for communion with this mindset. Every one of you, including me, more importantly me, more than all of you, have sinned. Probably on your way here, probably right now. In us, in our flesh, dwells no good thing. We're not, we're not a gift to God in that sense. We're, we are a mess. Our pride doesn't allow us to acknowledge that because we judge ourselves based on other people and you're judging yourself based on me. And if I were the standard, you'd win. But I'm not, God is. And you can judge me until you're blue in the face. And the Bible says as a pastor, I'm more strictly judged. You judge my wife, you judge my kids. You make yourself feel better as you whistle past the graveyard. But the reality is I'm not the standard too bad it'd be an easy exam we're all sinners and we look at our life and we say God have mercy on me and he says I will but I want to set you free so that you'll be set free to serve not to continue in sin and you say I don't think God you can forgive me for what I've done 
I'm like a Samson. I find myself in this equation. From the day of my birth, I've had everything necessary to succeed, and all I've done is abuse it. I want to tell you, God is a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not condemned. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. He is not your accuser. He's your advocate. And he's covered all of your transgressions in his blood so his father, the judge, can't read it. And the work he began in you, he's faithful to complete and he's calling you today to repent. God knows you can't make this journey on your own so he's gonna give you his spirit to do it and you rely on him. He offers you mercy, not condemnation. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So you say, well, I gotta earn God's favor. I gotta, I gotta work harder. I gotta, I gotta. And every time you make a resolution, you fail. It's not you trying, it's you dying and relying. Let the Lord minister and move in your life. It's his kindness that would lead you to repentance and say, God, take my life. He wants to bring you back into an intimate relationship with the Father. You feel distant from God, and that's because your sin has separated you. And God wants you to know he forgives you. You can't wash your sins away, only God's blood can do that. And that's why before you is a communion table. His body was broken so his blood would be shed to pay for your sins. The wages of sin is death. Blood must be shed for the remission of sin. You're not here because you're a good person. You're here because we have a good God. You're not righteous because of what you've done. You're righteous because of what he's done. And when we grasp that in its fullness, his kindness leads us not to live a life of continuous rebellion, but repentance to go out and deliver people from the bondage of the world. It's time to serve a lost and dying world. Get out of your little self-indulgence. Don't take his grace for granted. Come and realize how great a gift of salvation you've received. Step out of that bondage. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. It's time to go. And listen. You think you've done too much and God can't use you? Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And every sin you've ever committed, he's going to use it together for good. And it's going to be a testimony. And maybe that guy that we saw up there, God might use him. I don't know. He used Samson. He can use anybody. That makes me feel good. But come and receive this and go and apply it for God's glory. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. And God, even in this day and age, as we're, as we're watching these presidential candidates, and Lord, couldn't we have a more moral person? But we look at Samson. God, you can use anyone, anytime. Your grace is sufficient. You'll receive the glory. God, we ask for mercy, not judgment. God, have mercy on us. And I thank you that this communion table screams of mercy not getting what we deserve and then Lord you would give us grace that's just beyond me so Lord we come to this table to receive mercy and grace and help in our time of need that when we're weak you're strong And when we leave this table we leave not living for ourselves but wanting the world to know that we're beggars showing other beggars where the food is where you can find mercy and grace in abundance at the table of the Lord. Help us, God. Let us not end our life like Samson. But Lord, let us live in such a way that we would bring glory to you. We wouldn't die for you. We would live for you. We wouldn't die in shame. We would live 
to bring glory to your name. We love you, we praise you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.